1: See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely. Positively. FedEx.
2: Welcome to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. A major story happened in the past week that for some reason has been barely covered in the news media, even though it affects tens of thousands of American businesses and puts our privacy and possibly the safety of people in danger. It's another hack, this time allegedly by China, But it's even bigger than the more publicized alleged Russian SolarWinds hack of last year, as tens of thousands of companies and possibly everyone who does business with them have been attacked. Let's find out who it affects, how big this is, and what can be done about it. Ayaz Akhtar is senior editor at the technology site CNET. And Ayaz, let me start with this. This is a hack of a widely used Microsoft email program, not the same one most individuals use. So what are we talking about here?
3: Okay, so this hack affects Microsoft Exchange servers. Usually, small companies and medium-sized businesses run their own email servers. And what was happening is that data was being stolen, as you mentioned, from a number of sectors, including infectious disease researchers, law firms, higher education institutions, defense contractors. The latest reports I saw was thirty to sixty thousand U.S. organizations were hit. Uh, And what essentially what was going on is a data mining operation, just getting a lot of sensitive data from these servers.
2: Now, the thing that's crazy about this is to get in, they needed four of what are called zero-day exploits. This is not one of those things that, you know, Tim does in five seconds in NCIS. Um, And worse, even after you close the door, they can insert a web shell that would let them in even after a patch is installed. So I guess that's one of the reasons why this is considered an ongoing crisis.
3: Yeah, so when these hackers that uh, Microsoft is calling Hafnium When they got access to the servers, they installed that web shell like you were talking about, which is a script which allowed them to remotely access the servers. Now, even if you patch the system, that doesn't mean that those back doors are closed. So what's going to need to be done for these small and medium-sized businesses is that they need to do a thorough review of what's going on with their systems. Now that could be very cost prohibitive for smaller businesses. And we're going to have to see what people do to react to this because just because this one group found it doesn't mean a whole bunch of other groups aren't using the same kinds of ways to get into servers.
2: Yeah, and that is one of the disturbing things about what's happened here because one of the problems here is that apparently once it was publicized that this hack happened and you had to publicize it so people could put it in the security patch and all of that and know that something was going on other hacker groups uh, possibly gangsters, possibly who knows knowing of the vulnerability they jumped in and they started stealing information as well
3: yeah so I mean if you're thinking about a corporation or a small business running their business and emails through this one server that's a lot of sensitive data you there are all kinds of IT systems and you know you go through all these trainings about what you sh- what you should and what you should not put in your corporate emails. But sometimes people are lax about that. So there's tons of information that could be taken, not just the simple like the research from infectious disease re- researchers, but things like credit card numbers. If for some reason you send it, that in, or if you're making requests for equipment, all these things that we use email for, this is the, like a treasure trove. On top of that, you've got tons of contacts, you've got address books, you've got uh, personal information about people including phone numbers, if you think about it, in the contacts manager, that could easily be taken. Who knows what could be done with that? As as simple as it could be, you could get more robocalls, if you think of it that way. If you sell these phone numbers, you sell these emails, this could be a, a very large problem to come.
2: Yeah. Besides selling emails, there's also the possibility of things like uh, ransomware. I mean, once we move from uh China, which is who Microsoft, China denies it, but that's who Microsoft claims is behind this. Once we move from them to these other groups that have moved in, we are talking about groups that, uh, you know, could uh, say, listen, uh, we're going to put all your emails in the Internet. Or uh, if you don't do this, that or the other uh, and pay us a lot of money, we're going to delete all of your emails and a lot of your information. So this has the possibility of being a long-running mess for businesses.
3: Yeah, on top of that, let's imagine that you know, a, a, an actual end user doesn't know if they're using Microsoft Exchange server on the back end. They can receive a message from a lot of phishing people or who are just trying to get them into this scam. So this kind of news will freak people out in general and then the wider public that we're we're informing right now may be susceptible to these attacks just because people are writing, oh, I do have your emails and I can prove it, but pay me this uh, amount of money. So sometimes there's that old advice, never put anything in the email that you wouldn't want on your headstone. But, you know, you never know what people have written.
2: This brings up an interesting situation for Microsoft, who, again, had a problem that caused the Russian hack. There was a weakness in a Microsoft project that the Microsoft product that caused the solar wind hack. Microsoft has been trying to expand its business in China. At the same time, it keeps getting attacked. Uh, It's made more inroads than anybody else in China. If I'm reporting from China, I'm looking for a recognizable search engine, Bing, which I never use in the States, is the only game in town for me. But it puts American companies in the role of a kid who wants to be on the same side of the bully because they will do well in other ways, even though the bully keeps beating them up I mean, what is the situation for Microsoft, which is trying to expand investment in China at the same time has been made to look kind of foolish by them?
3: Well, I think Microsoft's approach would be to publicize its cloud services much more than running the software on your own dedicated server, because like I said, this doesn't affect exchange on the cloud because... Microsoft is obviously constantly reviewing what's going on with the activities. They can detect leaks and they can detect access, unauthorized access a lot faster than my own IT administrator. So I think what they would do to promote themselves further in China is to say, hey, use our cloud services, not necessarily running them on your own, but this will keep it nice and secure. And that also allows Microsoft to have a bit of control, which I know China is not the biggest fan of when it comes to data privacy.
2: One of the things here, we talked about dangers to companies, individual emails, but there's something else going on here as well. We may be talking about dangers to individuals who work for NGOs, non-governmental organizations, very often working in countries trying to do well in areas where authoritarian governments aren't too happy about them. Uh, We know that some people who work for NGOs and think tanks as well were singled out in this hack. And again, we know authoritarian governments have been making efforts to get at people in various countries who are doing this kind of work. I mean, how much might this endanger people?
3: And that's a frightening concept you bring up, because if these countries, if this, if this is a state-sponsored attack, as Microsoft has said, and as you've mentioned, China denies it, if it's that kind of... Attack. That means th- this country would have or China would have all kinds of information about people who are seeking refuge and people who are trying to just leave their country or just any kinds of things that would be stamped out in their local country. So that's uh, a really frightening proposition, but that data could be used for that. In, in China and other countries.
2: Final thing. We talked about some of the dangers individuals might be in because of, you know, other governments other than China and uh, gangsters and all of that. What China has classically done with its hacks, though, is interesting because they don't seem to be into immediate criminal mischief. But Just are compiling data. They love data. How many people do this? Where do they do that? They got access to the files on millions of Americans when they hacked into the Federal Office of Personnel Management back in 2015. They get this information on people Maybe they may want to control down the road and, and all of this. What is China after when they do this kind of thing?
3: Uh, I think it's just influence, pure and simple. If you have all this data, if you can use people as pawns, you can get what you want. So that that's a very simple way to put it. There's also the options of stamping out those who are, are opposing you, which is, a, again, a horrible thought to think about. But I believe that's one of the bigger reasons why any governmental agency is doing all of the spying. I mean, the U.S. is not exactly of clean hands when it comes to getting people's data as well. So it could also be for behavioral information. It could be for something as simple as using it for technology's sake, if actually taking this data and to mine it and find out all of these variables to figure out human behavior. That's another thing I've been really reading about is how in general, if you have enough data, whether it's anonymous or not, you can figure out so much more and predict so much more. So the more you can figure out behaviors, including through emails, you could probably see where companies were going in development with certain products or projects. So there's a ton of reasons why they're so data hungry, as is pretty much every company now that I think about it.
2: So many angles to the story, and this is an ongoing story we'll keep following. Ayaz Akhtar is senior editor at the technology site CNET. Ayaz, as always, thank you for making this understandable.
3: Always great to talk to you.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. One thing that has changed for most Americans in the past year is the way we work. Offices, conference rooms, and the water cooler quickly made way for Zoom, Slack, and Microsoft Teams. Even industries that never would have imagined working from home were forced to go remote last March, and in many cases with very little warning. Leaving management and employees to figure things out on the fly and get creative just in order to get the job done. Though some companies had the luxury of maybe taking a few days to figure it out and reset, many did not. Many had to keep their service uninterrupted, even as people were running all around trying to figure out how to make all of this work. And if working from home, how not to let a colicky baby suddenly interrupt a sales presentation, a call with a customer, or a network newscast. What you're about to hear is one of those stories told by those who lived it the team at CBS News Radio. CBS News Special Report The World
4: Health My name is Craig Swagler. I'm the Vice President and General Manager for the CBS Audio Network and CBS News Radio. It was March 11th of 2020 when we got word that two individuals at CBS News tested positive for coronavirus. I got an urgent knock on my door from one of the senior executives at CBS News telling me that I needed to take part in a call. We were going to evacuate the CBS Broadcast Center.
5: Which left us, CBS News Radio, as a 24-7 news operation in a very precarious situation. Tara Lipinski, executive editor.
6: Craig Swagler called myself and the supervisor of the engineering team into his office and said, how would we get on the air if we all needed to be in uh, Washington, and said, well, That would be difficult, but we could uh, move some stuff around and we could make it happen. Hi, this is Dustin Gervais and I'm the digital media manager at CBS News Radio. And so we spent the next week getting to work and we at the time didn't really know if it was gonna turn out to be anything.
4: We moved many anchors, reporters, and technicians on trains and planes to DC to quickly get ourselves in a position to be able to continue continuity of services and reporting on the news. Little did we know that this was the beginning of a whole new way of life and that we were going to be
7: changed forever. This is Matt Piper. I live in New York City, and I'm an anchor correspondent here at CBS News. In the early afternoon, I got a call from work. And whenever you see those 212, 975... So-and-so numbers pop up, you know that it's work, and instantly I'm thinking, okay, what's this about? I'm Paul Farry, and I produced the World News Roundup. Unit manager Shea told me I had to work in Washington the next morning. She wouldn't tell me why, but I figured it out. It was supposed to be just for a few days, so I threw some clothes in a suitcase, had my wife drive me to Amtrak, and got down to D.C. as quickly as
2: I could. I'm Steve Kathan. My phone rang. It was my boss, Craig Swaggler, and he was whispering, Whispering, this isn't for public knowledge yet. They're closing the broadcast center. You've got to get you and some others to Washington.
7: I was the first person on in Washington who was not a normal Washington anchor. And it was also the first time I opened a newscast and said, you know, I'm Matt Piper in Washington. The coronavirus. What
2: was weird was being far from home. When you weren't working, you were worrying. What if I got sick and had to quarantine for two weeks in a hotel room? if my wife or kids got sick and I couldn't help them. My name is Matt Sherry and I'm an
8: editor for CBS News Radio. I remember on that train just feeling so strange. I was heading down south toward D.C. saying to myself, okay, you don't know when you're going to see your family again. I have a wife and a son. You don't know how long you're going to be down there. You'll have to produce morning drive newscasts in less than 12 hours, and you have no idea how you're going to go about doing that because you haven't used the equipment at this place. There was just so much uncertainty. Um, I don't want to say I was scared. I was just numb. I'm Peter King in Orlando. I'm working
9: from home. I'm Peter King, and I'm an Orlando-based correspondent for CBS News Radio and have been working from Orlando since the 1990s. Quite honestly, I was better prepared than anybody in the building to be working from home because I've been doing it for so long and because my system was as robust as possible.
6: I ended up being the designated survivor left in New York in the event that for whatever reason, we needed to return here or we needed physical presence in the building to fix some sort of issue Resolve something uh, from a managerial level, of course. My
0: name is Stephen Portnoy. I am the White House correspondent for CBS News Radio. On Wednesday, March 11th, we got word that the president intended to address the country from the Oval Office for only the second time in his presidency. From that resolute desk that presidents reserve for only the most august occasions. I'm Stephen Portnoy at the White House where the president plans a primetime Oval Office address. From July 26th, 1964 up until March 11th of 2020, radio newscasts on a daily basis were being produced and anchored or distributed out of the CBS Broadcast Center on West 57th Street on the west side of Manhattan. It was an incredible feat of radio engineering to be able to make that work around the clock in Washington, in you know, upstate New York in parts of central New Jersey where, where some of our people live. Uh, our producers and editors were sent laptops if they didn't have them already so that they could dive in and do their work
1: from home. Patricia Carrigan, I'm the morning assignment editor. I was in the middle of a divorce, and my ex-husband actually had taken the laptop in the divorce. So I had nothing but my iPhone. I was assigning everyone that was scattered hither and yon on my iPhone. I don't know how we pulled it off. I'm
0: Stephen Portnoy in Washington. I wound up anchoring a a few of our hourly newscasts from my apartment. I put a white blanket over my head to reduce the echo in the guest bedroom. I I literally looked
8: like a ghost. After about a month and a half down in Washington or so, uh, we went home uh, for good, and we started putting the newscasts together together. Uh, from our own individual homes.
7: It's this weird thing of, okay, now that we're working from home, do I move to Montana? Do I move to Miami? Do I stay in New York?
10: My name is Debbie Rodriguez, a morning news anchor and correspondent. There have been positives to working from home. I admit to slipping right into my work chair and pajamas some days, but I have to say I've used all those getting up and getting ready minutes to be more prepared for my shift.
5: The effect that this pandemic has had on women in particular resonates very deeply with me. I recognize myself and the challenges in all of the stories that have come out and the challenges for women are real. We did it as a team.
1: It's funny because I actually think we got better story counts and more interesting stories in there than we would have if we were just in the newsroom
11: afternoon from Washington, the growing
5: coronavirus crisis has gone from... China
2: reports six deaths and some 300... In an interview with CBS
5: News, Pelosi says right now compromises... The president of the
8: United States has tested positive for the coronavirus.
11: CBS News is projecting that Democrat Joe Biden has been elected president.
7: Breaking news in Washington as the House is in an unexpected recess as protesters have been clashing with police, gathering outside the U.S.
8: Capitol building. Our job had never been more important than it was at that moment, at that time.
1: It's amazing how when you're pushed into a corner, everybody just sorts of figures it out. I always say it was like frenetic ballet. Everybody knew what they were doing, what they had to do, and it just fell into place. It wouldn't. It wasn't as seamless as a nutcracker ballet, but it was a frenetic ballet, but the... The show still went on. You know, you miss uh, real
7: people. I really just hope to have these face-to-face conversations again.
5: I remember landing very late in D.C. and getting into a car and driving by the Capitol building, and it was all lit up. Now, what the country has been through, what that building has been through in the past year.
9: The last year has really been a reinforcement of something I've believed for a long, long time. And that is, you know, no matter how good and talented you may be, you're still part of a team and you can't do it alone. Even with radio equipment,
10: a basement is still a basement. Who isn't forever changed by this COVID beast I have a mother with dementia in a nursing home who survived a bout of COVID at the age of 92. I haven't seen her in months and months, but I've tried to make peace with it.
8: I also learned a lot about myself through this whole ordeal. I learned that I too could roll with the punches, that I had the personality that was able to kind of put on the back burner of my mind a lot of the surrounding variables.
0: The fear is still with us. Everyone understands it. We understand how to surveil it. And we understand how to deal with it as it happens.
4: We reinvented how we did radio broadcasting.
7: We don't even know yet some of the ways we will be changed. We'll look back years from now and realize that when we returned to normal, it wasn't quite the normal that we expected. It was different. The name of this broadcast says it all. Changed forever. That's exactly what we are.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network.
11: it's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free indulgent experience.
2: Welcome back to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. There's been a lot of coverage of the political machinations in the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. Not enough coverage of what's actually in it for you and whether you'll even get it. Here to make all that clear is CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger, whose podcast, Jill on Money, and whose book, The Dumb Things Smart People Do With Their Money, are sources of great knowledge. Jill, let's start with a thing that seems easy to describe, a little more complicated in reality. Who gets these stimulus checks? Because last round, some people expecting over a grand got like a couple of hundred bucks and they were confused. So what's the deal with this? Because the amounts of income to qualify even have a lower ceiling than last time.
10: That's exactly right. So um, in this plan, the actual dollar amount is higher than the previous two iterations. Remember the the top one that we had in the first CARES Act, $1,200. When Congress voted for another stimulus bill and checks went out in January, those were $600 checks. This is $1,400. So this is a pretty big number. It is available to anyone who is a single tax filer who makes less than $75,000, $150,000 if you're married filing jointly. Now, the the phase out, meaning that in the previous iterations of these stimulus checks, you would get less money all the way up to if $100,000 if you were a single filer and $200,000 if you were married. Now the cutoff is just another $5,000. So essentially, if you're a single tax filer and you make less than $80,000, you're going to get some money. Married filing jointly, that's $160,000. But some of you who got some money in the past couple of rounds, you might get bupkis this time because you made too much money. And I should just make a note here. A lot of people are so confused just because we're in the middle of tax filing season. So some people have already filed for 2020. Some people haven't. The IRS is going to base those income numbers on whatever the most recent tax year they have on file. So if you have not filed your tax returns yet for 2020, they're going to look back to 2019. And if you have already filed, they're going to use this tax return season.
2: OK, now these income amounts. Here's a question I get from people scratching their heads and confused when we say make 80000 or 160000 So are we talking about just wages? Is Social Security included? Interest income? Is that income after deductions does money made selling a house or taking money out of your ira account what do those number income numbers mean
10: well it's earned income and that includes income in this sense includes wages it includes social security it includes pension it does not include money out of retirement plans it does not include capital gains or passive income And I think that the easiest way to really understand this is, you know, if if you actually worked for and even if you didn't work, if you just didn't make a lot of money last year, you still may get this. In other words, it may be that you made no money. You could be retired collecting Social Security and you might also get a fourteen hundred dollar check. So it doesn't have to be earned income, but it could be it's income of a type. Right. So wages, wages you know, business income, obviously, or 1099 income, if you're an independent contractor. Um, What, you know, what's really important is that these payments that come with these stimulus payments, they're not taxable. So a lot of people were worried like, oh my God, I'm going to get this money and then they're going to tax it. No, any of these stimulus payments, the first 1200, the 600, this 1400, not taxable to you.
2: Okay. What is taxable, although there's a break in this bill that was not in the previous bills, is unemployment. So tell us what the changes are here for unemployment insurance.
10: This is a fascinating thing that was tucked into this bill. Uh, So for months and months and months, I have been reporting and saying over and over, hey, guys, if you collected unemployment benefits last year, that's taxable. So don't forget the federal government is going to tax that. And some states are also going to levy taxes on that. And I kept warning people and I sounded must sound like a dingbat because now what has happened is through this law being passed, there is a change for tax year 2020. So it's only 2020. And Congress has snuck in a provision where up to $10,200 of unemployment benefits received in the year 2020, not taxable for those who make less than $150,000. That is big. So it's only a 2020 provision. In terms of federal unemployment that is coming on top of state unemployment benefits for this year for 2021 there is going to be an extension of that extra three hundred dollars a week and that is extended through september 6th it also includes the folks who are claiming it under the pandemic um, assistance program the self-employed and gig workers are also getting that extra three hundred dollars a week
2: we have more coming up with cbs news business analyst jill schlesinger as we let you know Where's the money from the COVID relief bill? This is America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. And we've been talking with CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger about the big COVID relief bill that was just signed by the president. Okay, so now... I've got listeners going, I uh, made a little less, so I'm going to get um I'm going to get this uh, big stimulus check, but wait, I had taxes withheld or paid taxes on the unemployment money I I got and now you're telling me ten thousand two hundred is going to be free of taxes. Well, how do I get that money back? Will the IRS figure it out and just send me a check or do I have to file an amended return? What do I do? <sighs> (sighs) That is such a
10: great question. We don't know yet. Uh, I spoke to a bunch of CPAs over the last five, six days. By the way, those poor guys and gals are going bananas right now because you can imagine all these rules have changed in the middle of tax season. So the American Institute of CPAs, the AICPA, actually wrote a letter to the IRS saying, hey, you got to delay this. Like this is cray cray. Like our software can't actually account for the changes you just that we just voted into law in Congress, right? So I don't know what's going to happen with that. And that we have not been told anything yet. Here's what I imagine. I think that the IRS may actually delay tax filing deadline and may give people an opportunity to go back and make that correction. I don't know if they're going to do it automatically or not, but that is a big headache for anyone who's filed their taxes. I guess the only good news is that if there's a mistake this time around, you'll get it back next year. And that's sort of the same thing if you haven't gotten what you think is your stimulus payment that you thought you were owed, maybe it was referencing the wrong tax year, or maybe you had a child in the middle of the year and the IRS didn't know that. If that's the case, then you need to actually file something um, that is called the recovery rebate credit. It's line 30 on form 1040 or 1040 ES. So, you know, if you didn't get the money, I guess you can get it back next year. And if you didn't get the money you thought you were owed last year, then you've got to claim the recovery rebate credit line 30.
2: All right. We'll be checking that. Although people use, you know, software, whether it's TurboTax or HR block or anything, you know, I mean, now the rules have changed and you've got the software you're using to figure out what's going to happen this year.
10: <laughs> one CPA said to me with dropping many, many F-bombs, etc., said to me, how are they expecting me to get my job done? I said, oh, my God, you have not slept in three weeks, have you? He says, no, I have not.
2: <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some of the interesting things about this bill, and and one of them is this bill is is basically aimed, unlike, say, the 2017 income tax cuts, at low and middle income households. I mean, that's who I think is, and I want to hear from you, who are going to be, people are going to benefit the most from this.
10: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of analysis going on that, you know, 56% of this bill is going to low to medium income. I don't know exactly what the percentages are, but here's what I know that in addition to stimulus and in in addition to help for those folks who are unemployed, there's an expansion of paid sick and family leave. And there's a big change in the child tax credit. So the child tax credit used to be, you get 2000 bucks per kid, right? And it was great, but you got phased out. Like if you made too much money, you didn't get it and you had to actually have income to claim it. So there was a lot of, there were some hurdles around it in the, in in the new law, the child tax credit goes to three thousand dollars per child, thirty six hundred bucks if you have kids under the age of six, which may be like the best news for anyone who's got those age kid those age kids anyway. Um, and the the number of people who are going to get it it's really expanded because it is that seventy five thousand dollars for single filers, one hundred fifty thousand for married filing. Jointly. And by the way, this tax credit, it's called a it's called a fully refundable tax credit. Because usually you get a credit like if I owe taxes, I'll get a couple thousand dollars against that tax. This means you get a check, even if you never owed taxes in the first place. So it's pretty big. And this child tax credit is really going to be interesting because it's going to not be a one-time shot. It's going to be in monthly installments. So I think that people are gonna be really um, happy to see all of a sudden that you get this guaranteed form of income on a monthly basis right through the end of 2021. Additionally, so child tax credits, that's a biggie. There is an expansion of the earned income tax credit. This was always aimed at lower income workers. They increased the income limit to claim it. They now are including people over the age of 65 who can claim that now. And they've also increased the credit for those people who don't have children at the earned income tax credit. And finally, I know I'm like, we're droning on, I'm sorry, but there's a lot in here. There is a huge change to the Affordable Care Act for the next two years, for this year, 2021 and 2022. The premiums that people are paying for the Affordable Care Act on those exchanges, those premiums are going to be uh, capped at eight and a half percent of your modified adjusted gross income. That's a big deal because a lot of people who were middle income earners, maybe upper middle, said that it was just really expensive sometimes to be part of the Affordable Care Act. And there's an increase in the credits that are available for those low and middle income earners. So put it together. Enhanced paid sick and family leave, increase in child tax credits, uh, expansion of the earned income tax credit, more affordable, affordable care act. It really is the A, the affordable. And that is just a ton of savings for low and lower middle income Americans.
2: Okay, as a final thing, there is money in here to reopen schools safely. That may sound like just like a school's issue, although that's a big thing. But as you referenced earlier, there's a lot of people who couldn't figure out, you know, how am I going to take care of the kids because they're not in school and work? And so they left their jobs. So I take it this money is not only a thing at getting schools reopened and making sure they're safe, but also allowing people to get back to work because their kids are going to be someplace.
10: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, the the amount of money that is earmarked for municipalities is not insignificant. It's almost six hundred billion dollars in this bill. And $350 billion is going to state and local governments. And that's important because those state and local governments usually have rules in their budgets that make them balance budgets every year. So again, if you're a state and your tax receipts have gone down because not as many people working, not as many people buying things. So tax receipts are down, but you still have to spend money because of the pandemic you would be forced potentially to lay off more of your staff to make the numbers work. Well, this $350 billion is hopefully going to prevent that from occurring. With the school aspect, $170 billion going into school systems that just need to get their acts together. They have to be able to retrofit schools and classrooms and get them ready and get these kids back in. You know. it's one thing to say we have mass vaccinations. We are not having mass vaccinations for kids under the age of 18 anytime soon. So we've got to get these schools open with enough uh, availability and space to do it safely. In this sort of lump sum of money for state and local governments, there's $50 billion of testing money and $20 billion for additional funds for vaccines. So it's pretty robust. Again, $590 billion of a $1.9 trillion plan. It's not getting as much attention. But believe me when I tell you that there are a lot of city managers that are breathing a big sigh of relief today.
2: Jill Schlesinger has her podcast, Jill on Money. Her book is The Dumb Things Smart People Do With Their Money. And of course, Jill is business analyst for CBS News. And we partake of her wisdom often on this broadcast as well. Jill, thank you for being with us again.
10: Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
2: You're listening to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network.
9: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat.
11: The NCAA Women's Basketball had an incredibly successful season, and now your favorite players from the 2023 to 2024 NCAA season will be in the WNBA. To all our veteran fans, welcome back. And to all the new fans joining, welcome to the W. This season, watch as proven legends Breonna Stewart, Asia Wilson, and Sabrina Ionescu continue their dominance, while rookies Caitlin Clark, Cameron Brink, and Angel Reese prove themselves on a WNBA court. The WNBA is redefining basketball on their own terms this season, keeping the game and players front and center while celebrating the intersection of identities and perspectives that align with fans. Welcome to the W. You're in for some world-class basketball.
2: Welcome back to America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. Just a week ago, before the Harry and Meghan interview with Oprah aired on CBS, it almost became a badge of honor for many to say that this would be the least interesting thing to air on network television since the Olympics covered curling. Sorry, Canada, it's like watching Admiral Byrd do housework. Suddenly, that all changed. Why? Well, in part... Quitting the royal family seems romantic, as when King Edward VIII did it to marry an American back in 1936.
8: I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman
2: I love of course, no one really looks to that romance much because Edward and Wallace Simpson became friends with Hitler. So much for that fairy tale. Decades later, another fairy tale, Harry's mother, Diana Spencer, married the seemingly permanent future King of England, Prince Charles, who in their first interview together pretty much popped the interviewer's romantic bubble.
8: And I suppose in love? Of course. Whatever in
9: love
1: means.
2: (laughs) The marriage was a disaster. Everyone loved Princess Diana, with one major exception, Prince Charles. Diana made clear the royal family gave her as much support as boxer shorts give a hernia. And there were warnings. On the CBS broadcast The Late Show with Stephen Colbert back in 2018, comedian John Oliver raised storm warnings ahead for Meghan and Harry's wedding. She might be marrying into a family that could cause her some emotional complications.
9: (laughs) But this generation seems like nice people, right? They're all nice now, right? Yeah. I hope she likes it. It's going to be weird
2: for her. Sarah Ferguson, a former princess by way of a bad marriage, also said royal marriages aren't what people think. Now, it's not a fairy tale. It's real life in there, well, so to speak. They
11: it's think, real life They, in they there. think it's real life in there.
2: So what caught people's fancy this week? First, unlike his dad, Harry, after seeing what his mom went through alone decided the woman he married was the most important thing in his life.
9: I'm just really relieved and happy to be sitting here talking to you with my wife by my side
2: because I can't begin
9: to imagine what it must have been like for her going through this process by herself all those years ago because it has been unbelievably tough for the two of us, but at least we had each other.
2: And another thing we learned is that at least one unnamed member of the royal family wanted to make sure Archie, Meghan and Harry's baby, looked more like a wedding dress than 60% of the Commonwealth's population.
10: So we have in tandem the conversation of he won't be given security, he's not going to be given a title, and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born.
2: With that and an apparent stay in your castle and shut up attitude to the new daughter-in-law, Megan was not doing well.
10: I just didn't want to be alive anymore.
2: So what's been the fallout? Buckingham Palace put out a mild statement saying racism concerns them which had the strength of, say, Abraham Lincoln signing this whole slavery thing has me somewhat concerned proclamation. And the British tabloids, which are generally protective of the royal family because they do nothing else, they do sell papers, turned on them when they sensed the country had. Is there a lesson in all of this? Maybe if one just rewrites a great Frank Sinatra song.
8: Fairy tales
2: can come true If you don't watch out. This has been America Changed Forever from the CBS Audio Network.
10: Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you